0: Uh, many of you know Terry Mitchell. She is the former coach of the Marquette women's basketball team, and uh, she's a friend of mine and actually used to attend Monday Night Bible study. Uh, but when I first met Terry, she would spend hours watching videos of her opposing team. Um, she called it tape. She would watch hours of tape. Uh, to me, it seemed like an utter waste of time. But to her, it was extremely valuable. One day I asked her why she spent so much time watching these videos, and she told me that she did it in order to gain advantage. Coaches and players apparently routinely watch videos of their opponents to study their techniques, to observe their strengths, to learn their weaknesses and limitations so that they can capitalize on them. Uh, They use this information to develop strategy uh, that takes advantage of their opponent's weaknesses and minimizes their strength. It's effective. Terry knew the importance of knowing her opponent. One of the first rules of warfare is to know your enemy. If you're going to win, you have to know your opponent. Most of you here today would admit that you believe that there's a very real devil, and yet you live as though you don't, or as though he were simply a storybook character, or a, or a a fictitious, or a what's the word, fictitious figment of your imagination. Uh, if we really believed there was a devil, the enemy of our soul, who's on a mission to steal, kill, and destroy, we would live like we knew he was alive, aware of his schemes and his plots. We need to know our enemy. Let me ask you a question. If the United States went to war with China, for example, and we knew nothing about their leaders, If we had no knowledge of the type of weapons they used or who their generals were or what type of combat they specialized in? What if the United States was going to war and they had no war plan or strategy to use against their opponent? That would be a recipe for sure defeat, wouldn't it? And yet, when it comes to spiritual warfare and the spiritual battle we're involved in as Christians, Most of us are not informed about the enemy or his tactics. Some of us are not even aware we're in a war. Or if we are, we're, we're certainly not prepared for it. Soldiers enlisted in a real war today would never dream of entering combat without weapons or being armed properly. And yet so few of us utilize the spiritual weapons available to us, And we go into battle with a formidable foe without proper battle attire. Is there any wonder we are so easily defeated? So in light of that, we need to know all we can about our enemy. But we also need to know all we can about our own temptations and weaknesses so that he doesn't capitalize on them in our lives. The ancient Chinese military general, Sun Tzu, wrote in The Art of War. Uh, It's a secular book, but but this quote is amazing. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. It's vital that we not only know our enemy, but we begin to know ourselves, identifying our own weaknesses, our our own vulnerabilities, and our own heart issues. The enemy, like Terry Mitchell, has studied a lifetime of tape on you and me. And trust me, he knows our weaknesses and will use them to develop a battle strategy against us. It's time we start to get to know him so that we are not unaware of his schemes. If you're joining us for the first time tonight, we are in the middle of a series on spiritual warfare entitled Armed and Dangerous. If you have your Bibles tonight, you can open them to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll pick up where we left off last week, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. But would you just pray with me first? Father, I'm so aware with a topic like this that I need your help more than I ever have. I'm asking you, Father, would you fill my mouth with your words? Would you fill my mind with your thoughts? Would you give me a spiritual download from heaven, Lord, even as I teach? I pray that even as I speak one word, the next one will be given to me. I'm asking you, Father, would you anoint me with power from on high? Would you help me to boldly and confidently present your word tonight? Help me to do it clearly and effectively so that a great number of hearers will believe. I pray, Lord God, that a spirit of wisdom and revelation would rest upon every person in this room tonight, that they would have ears to hear and a heart to receive, Lord God, that your word would penetrate uh, their minds, would penetrate, Lord, any stronghold that they have in their life, Lord, that you would pierce their hearts with your word and that it would truly bring a change in the house tonight. Father, I pray that you'd put a lock over my lips and that I would only say what you, what you want me to say. Help my eyes to follow on the notes that they need to follow and, and bring things to mind that I don't even have included in my notes. But most of all, Lord, I just ask that you'd be glorified and that you'd be magnified in this place. I pray for a personal message for every person here. Lord, that not one person would leave here tonight feeling like your word did not speak to them. I pray that it would be so personalized to their situation, Lord God, and that it truly would bring change in each of our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to just park here for a couple weeks. I promise you it's going to get more exciting as we go. It's hard for me not to jump into the, the topics that I want to jump into, but we have to build the foundation before we can get there. So Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places, therefore, because of this... And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all power and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Such a good passage. Finally. My brethren, he says. He, he starts in verse 10 saying, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That he's using that word finally because he's bringing his letter to a close. Everything that has been said uh, prior in this book is now being summed up. Remember, I want you to keep in mind that Paul is writing this letter from prison. At this time, he's been there for almost five years. (laughs) Keep in mind that he did not do anything to deserve to be in prison. He is absolutely, positively innocent. Innocent, but spent the past five years locked up. I want you to notice that he's not bitter. He's not angry. And he hasn't allowed the wrong done to him to make him caustic and nasty. I believe that's because he understands where the battle really lies. If you look at Ephesians 3 1 and then Ephesians 4 1, it's really clear to me what the secret to not allowing himself to be defeated by this thing. And if he, in Ephesians 3 1, he says, I, Paul, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 4 1, he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. You see, Paul understands that he's a prisoner but not of the Jews not of the Romans and certainly not of Nero he understands he is a prisoner of the Lord if he he knew that he he belonged to God and that if he was in a difficult place God had a purpose and a plan for allowing it. And so Paul could rest in knowing that God was working all things together for good. Knowing this, Paul was not moved by what was happening to him in the natural. He understood the battle he was fighting was unseen. This is something that you and I need to learn. Some of you are in a battle right now. Maybe you're in a prison of unforgiveness. Maybe you're in a prison of anger. Maybe you're in a prisoner of self-pity or defeat. If you are in a situation can, can I just tell you that you belong to the Lord? That word Lord means he to whom one belongs and who has the power of deciding. Oh, can I just tell you the Lord has the power of deciding in your life. If he has allowed something in your life, it's because he has a purpose and a plan behind of it. Behind it, rest. Rest in that place. Stop being tossed and turned by every little thing that comes into your life. Stop stop being so moved by pain and trials and tribulation in your life and understand that you can be in a place of rest because you belong to God. And there is no power greater than him. Do you understand that? Nothing that's happening to you has greater power than the one you belong to. Paul knew that, and he could rest because of it. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That word be strong means to endue with strength. It, 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 the definition directly out of my Greek dictionary says this comes with union with the Lord. We are strong in the Lord. In denotes a fixed position of rest. When we are in relationship with with Jesus, when we're spending time with him, we are in a fixed position of rest. We won't be easily moved when we're making that a priority. It's in the present tense with the passive voice. It refers to making this your continuous ongoing habit to find your strength. In the Lord. Some of you think your strength is in your best friend, or your strength is in your spouse, or your strength is in a bottle you drink at night. Can I tell you, be strong in the Lord? Find your strength in Him. It means we have to be purposeful to make our lifestyle to rely on His strength in our life. It's in the passive voice. This is fascinating. For those of you that like this present tense, passive voice stuff, the the tense that I talk about on on Monday nights, Friday mornings we have a study that we study the word of God in depth, and you can learn more about that. It's one of my favorite days of the week, and um, so you're welcome to join us for that as well. But the passive voice conveys the idea that the subject is being acted upon by an outside force or power. So the subject here is you. Be strong in the Lord. It's, it's, uh, it is in the passive voice, meaning your strength doesn't come from you working it. It comes from an outside force, God, making you strong. The subject is the recipient. The power is from God. Arkant Hughes says it's in the present imper- imperative, meaning it's a command. It's a command to find your strength in God. He makes us strong. He provides the power, but we have to appropriate it into our life and into those situations. John MacArthur says this, I like it. The Christian life is a question of availability and appropriation, knowing three things. First, it is a war. Second, the power to win is available. And third, you have to appropriate that power. You can choose to be impotent and fruitless, even though residing in you is the power to do beyond what you can even ask or think. You can be lethargic and indifferent and cold, drifting in and out of church and still be in heaven for all of eternity because of the immeasurable grace of God. But if you choose to live that way, you will forfeit the blessing God has for you in this life and you will fail to glorify God to the extent you should. You can turn your back on all the available power, blunt the energy of the Spirit of God, and say no to the incomprehensible work that God wants to do through you if you choose. We have to choose to be made strong in the Lord, to find our strength in Him, to lean on, rely on Him, and trust in Him to provide that for us. We can be pitiful, or we can be powerful, the choice is yours. You can be a victim or you can be a victor. The choice is yours. You can't be both though. And see, this is what happens. We have all of this power available to us. The other day I went to flat iron my hair. When you have tight curly hair like I do, you need that flat iron to be as hot as it can possibly get. And and, because it's got to straighten it. And I'm pulling this thing through my hair over and over and over, and I'm like, my hair is still curly. What is going on? And then I realized the plug was laying on the counter. I didn't appropriate it. I didn't plug it in, so I didn't have power available to me. And I could have stood there all day long flat ironing my hair, and it would not have helped me. And some of you are like that. You have the power of God available to you. You are a Christian. You belong to Him. And yet, you're so pitiful. You're a victim. Can I just tell you what He did to me, what He's said to me how much you hurt my... P- Come on, you can be pitiful or you can be powerful. The choice is yours. Plug that power in, appropriate it into your life and receive it and begin to walk in the power that raised Christ from the dead. That same power lives within you. Do you know that? But we have to appropriate it. Paul says, be strong in the Lord. That word Lord, I told you, means he to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has the power of deciding oh my goodness we're strong in him and the one we belong to and the one who has the power of deciding in our life and John 4 4 says first John 4 4 says greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world the power of God in me is great and it's greater than anything I can face in this world Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That word power is demonstrative, explosive power. It's eruptive. It refers to ruling power or dominion. I'm just telling you, I I wanted to elaborate on this, and and I didn't, and now I'm going to without notes. But um, ruling power, dominion. Do you know that we have have been given dominion? Adam and Eve in the garden, God gave them dominion in the garden, he chose to give his ruling power to man. He, he chooses to let me have the, have his power, access to his power. And I can choose to utilize that, to appropriate that, or choose not to. But we have been given dominion. The Bible says all authority has been given to me to trample on snakes and the scorpions and to overcome how much? all the power of the enemy and nothing can harm me. You either believe it or you don't. You have the power and the authority in you to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing can harm you. Some of you are afraid of this topic because you're thinking, I don't want to talk about the devil. Are you kidding me? You have to know your enemy and you have to know that all power has been given to you to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And nothing can harm you except what you allow, except what you fail to plug in and appropriate in your life. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word put on means to sink into clothing, means to clothe oneself. Uh, it means to, to literally dress someone or to put on as a garment. It's in the aorist imperative. Friday morning people, what's imperative? A command. Uh, it's a command to put on the armor. And because it's in the aorist, it, it means do it and do it now. There's always a sense of urgency that comes with the aorist imperative. Do this and do it now. It's vital that you do it. But here's the thing. It's in the middle voice. And that conveys the idea that you have a choice whether or not you do it. Oh, that's good. I'm telling you, we could go home after that because that's so good if you really get this, that you are commanded to put on the full armor of God so that you can withstand the wiles, the schemes, the methods, the tricks of the devil. But you get a choice whether or not you follow that command. Because God is not going to do it for you. He's not going to force you to do it. Because it's in the middle voice, it means you have to make the decision to do it. You have to actually put it on. You get to participate in this. And why do we do that? So we can take a stand against the devil and and the wiles of the devil. That word stand means uh, the one who does not hesitate, one who does not waver. I'm not going anywhere, devil. You are not going to make me move. Whatever's happening here in the natural is not going to influence. It's not going to make me move. I am taking my stand against you. I'm taking my stand against you. Some of you are running the other direction away from that issue. That issue in the natural has moved you so much that you're in the bed depressed or you're full of despair or or that you're easily moved. Paul says... Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil. Do you, do you know that in Bible times that the Roman soldiers, the one who Paul would have been looking at, and we'll get this as we go into to, um, the armor, do you know that the, the sandals on, on the, um, a soldier's feet had like three-inch spikes on the bottom of it? Do you know why they did that? Because the three-inch spikes would dig down into the ground, and they couldn't move. They couldn't, they, they couldn't turn and run because they have to get these spikes out of the ground to run. And they did it so that they, they would stand firm. That's what Paul's talking about here. Don't you dare be easily moved by him and what he's bringing in front of you, what he's doing to you in the natural because your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not in the natural. It's a spirit realm battle. And that's where you have to fight it. So don't run in the natural when something Bad comes up or something difficult comes up, up. Don't be running to bed. Don't be running to your friend. Don't be running to pity and, and, and victimization. Stand firm against the devil. Understand where the battle lies. Against the wiles of the devil, he says, we talked about this a bit last week, but I want to, I want to um, revisit it tonight. That word wiles is methodeia. It's where we get our word method. It means cunning arts, trickery, deceit, craft. It means to lie in wait. Remember last week I talked about the devil like a uh, prowling lion, uh, and, and how he would lie and a lion lies in wait for you. That's this word. But it means to follow up by method and settled plan. Uh, meta, meta means with. Hodos means road. Uh, that's where that word comes from. So, when we compound those together, it means one who travels on or operated on a specific road or avenue. Okay, are you listening to me? So, one who operates on a specific road or an avenue. I hope I can explain this. So my husband and I uh, work with men who have sex addictions, who are addicted to pornography, women who are addicted to pornography. And one of the things that we teach, the people that we work with, is that when you look at pornography, for example, we'll just use that as an example. When you look at pornography, your brain sees that, that pornography. And, and you, you start to develop, after you look at it, you get a dopamine fix where you get excited by that and, and you get your brain says, wow, and it lights up like crack cocaine, like somebody taking crack cocaine, are you with me? And, and so when you go back again and look at it, now your brain is developing a road or a pathway in your brain. So now you have a craving for that. You want to go back because you want that same dopamine fix. And so you're gonna go back to that pornography over and over and over again because your brain is taking you down that same pathway, that same road. Are you with me? Did you get the definition of wiles? I'm gonna read it to you one more time. One who travels on or operates on a specific road or avenue. So diabolos, devil, That's what that word means. In the Greek is diabolos, diabolos. Dia, one who comes alongside. Balos means to throw in order to destroy or get penetration. So the devil, diabolos, comes alongside and he throws lies. He throws uh, accusations and he keeps throwing them. He's trying to get a pathway into your brain. He's trying to get a pathway into your heart. He's trying to get a road that he can travel to get to you so he can bring destruction. And so he says, I'm going to keep throwing this until she buys it, until she really believes it. She doesn't believe, you know, the first time my mother told me that I was worthless and I would never amount to anything, I did not believe it. I'm just going to tell you that. I was like, that's foolish. I, I know better than that. It was after it got thrown at me over and over and over and over and over again that I I actually started to believe it was truth. You see, the devil had nothing to do with my mom. It had everything to do with the devil who came to steal, kill, and destroy the call of God that was on my life. How could I stand in front of people if I really believed I was worthless and that I would never amount to anything? And so that scheme, that wild started when I was a little girl. And then he threw it over and over and over throughout my life. It wasn't just my mom that confirmed it. Now it was other people that I that I valued that confirmed it in my life. And then it started to play out in situations where I would fail at something and think, yep, that's right, I'm a failure. I never will amount to anything. He started to confirm it confirm it in situations. And then as I started to buy into that, then I was like, that's true, right there. And then it became, I had faith in that lie. And I started to think, yes, that's a true lie about me. And now I got a pathway, a road That the enemy could use to get to me to bring destruction. And then guess what it became? A stronghold on me. Where, where he could now use that lie, you're worthless, you're never going to amount to anything, to harass and torment me at any given time. Do you see it? Now it's a stronghold. It's what I really believe about myself. Do you see what the enemy does? He's looking for a pathway. The pathway that worked for me might not work for you, but I bet you five bucks you have one. And we need to demolish those strongholds. We need to bring them down. We need to learn about our enemy and how he works so that we can then build a strategy against him. Do you know that every time I think, you're worthless? You're never going to amount to anything, Rhea. I'm like, that devil, you are a liar. You are a liar. I know that voice, and that is not the voice of the one who loves me. That is the voice of the devil, and you are trying to find a pathway into this, into this heart, into this mind, and I am not giving it to you anymore in Jesus' name. You cannot be unaware. You have to know your enemy because he's watching tapes about you. You need to learn about him. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The enemy we face, we talked about this last week, is not persons of flesh and blood, but their invisible spirit being. Stop wasting your time on people. Stop wasting your time on battles here. The Living Bible says we're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. You don't have a physical enemy. No person should be the focus in your your battle. You have a spiritual enemy. The opposition is real, but your enemy is not visible to the naked eye. Unfortunately, so many of us tend to fight battles with human foes instead of the real enemy, because the visible world is where all of our energies and our efforts are focused. But what makes this challenging is the enemy we're fighting cannot be detected by our physical senses. It's hard to fight about an enemy that you can't see but we always have to keep in mind there are two realities in which we operate. One is the physical earthly reality, and the other is the spiritual reality. And Paul was making sure we understand that this battle we're fighting, every trial you come upon, every situation you face, every hardship you encounter— This is God's word, not mine. I'm not trying to super spiritualize everything. I'm not trying to find a devil behind every every bush. I am telling you this is God's word and its truth. And God says that your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and evil forces. Do you understand We have to start realizing that your battle is not against your husband. It's not against your ex-husband. Your battle is not against your wife. It's not against your ex-wife. It's not against your parents. It's not against your employer. It's not against Susie down the street who hurt you. It's not against Sally at church who talks about you. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. And the sooner we learn that, the sooner we will grow up spiritually and start, start fighting effectively. We waste so much of our time on physical weapons to overcome a problem that can only be won on the spirit realm, in the spirit level. I, I'm telling you, I'm a good fighter, I am a uh, my mouth, the enemy the, the Lord uses, but so does the enemy. And I can fight like nothing. like I'm quick, I am good on my feet. And, and this guy can never win a mouth battle with me ever. Because I am good. Am I good? I'm good. And he, he's not good because he's tender and gentle and he doesn't ever say anything mean. And so I'm like, I can just obliterate him with my mouth. And I can think, hmm, I won that one. Won that one. Won for Rhea. If I thought I was fighting in the natural. But see, my battle is never here. I wish that it had taken me so long to learn that that even though it feels like I won, I didn't win. Because I just used a natural weapon to fight a spiritual battle. And the enemy got the point. I'm just ticked off enough to not let the enemy ever get another point easily on me again. And this is where he wants us to focus. But that's not where your battle is. I I love this. Um, What's his name? Tony Evans says, everything visible and physical is preceded by something invisible and spiritual. So if your goal is to address some form of stronghold, conflict, or trial in your visible physical world, you will first need to address its invisible spiritual it. So this is, this is, I work with women whose husbands are cheating on them, whose husbands have absolutely destroyed their life. And, and I'm saying to them, forgive them and love them well. And they're like, Ria, what is wrong with you? Because I get this. That's not their battle. This was the enemy of their soul who set them up. And some of you are like, well, that's really not good. Psychology says, you take your psychology someplace else because I'm going I'm to counsel from the word of God. And I have seen this. Work And when we start to wise up and realize that our battle, it it cannot be fought here. It's got to be fought. When I fight, I fight on my knees. That was so great. They picked that song tonight. That's where our battle lies. And we have got to learn to start using the weapons that we have been given because they are not carnal and fleshly in nature. They are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. We've got to realize that. The first step in maturing in the area of spiritual warfare is realizing every issue, every problem, every addiction, every trouble originated in the spiritual realm. Paul says you don't battle against flesh and blood. The word battle that I have, I have memorized as battle, but in the King, New King James it says wrestle. You do not wrestle against flesh and blood, and that really is the word. Um, Some translations might say battle, but it really is wrestling. We are in a wrestling match. Remember, Paul is writing this 2,000 years ago in the midst of Greek and Roman civilization. So, when he says wrestle, his readers would immediately have known what he was referring to. You and I don't because we weren't living in that time. But let me give you a little background. He has in mind the Greco Roman games. So, you know, it bothers me that Paul says, do everything you can stand to take your stand against the devil because you don't wrestle. Wait a second, Paul. Am I standing or am I wrestling? Am I standing or am I wrestling? How many times in this passage does he waver between wrestle and stand? Wrestle Now, which one do you want, Paul? Do you want me to stand or do you want me to wrestle? Because I was a cheerleader for the wrestling team. I'm going to tell you, they do not stand. Their whole job is to get that guy on the mat and throw him down. And, and so, Paul, do you want me to wrestle or do you want me to stand? Both. Here's why. Listen to this. To understand the meaning, you have to understand the time that Paul was living in. In Paul's day, there was only one way to win at wrestling. The goal, like I said, was to throw your opponent on the ground, but in Paul's day, they had to be thrown three times. So uh, the the word wrestle there, it's a contest between two in which each endeavors to throw the other and which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. So the only way to win at the wrestling match that Paul was referring to was to stay standing on your feet, to not let your enemy throw you. Are you with me? So the word he uses there is pale, P-A-L-E, and it's where we get our word palestra. Are you familiar with that word? Um, in ancient Greek and, and Rome, the palestra was a wrestling school. Uh, the palestra was an ancient Greek athletic establishment for combat sports. The three combat sports were boxing, wrestling, and Uh pana, Panachrist uh, is a combination of boxing and wrestling that allowed tactics such as kicking and strangling. It was a wild, no-hold-barred Olympics. It was really nasty fighting. Like, what's the word, MMA, or what is it? MMA. MMA today. It's very similar to that, except the goal was to kill your opponent. And so uh, people who did this knew they probably would never uh, make it through that match. So I want to read to you, and I, Dave always tells me that I shouldn't read. We learned in seminary that you'd never want to read more than a paragraph because <laughs> you lose your people. I'm going to read more than a paragraph because it's so good. I'm going to read from Sparkling Gems from the Greek. I I think if I had to pick one reference book in my library that I didn't want to be without, it would be this one. I love it. Uh, Rick Renner is a scholar in the Greek, and he has great insight. If you've never seen this book, you should check it out. It's wonderful. Um, But I'll just read you what Rick Renner writes about the word wrestle. The word wrestle, stay with me. I know this is long, but it's worth it is Pele, which refers to struggling, wrestling, or hand-to-hand combat. However, the word Pele is also the Greek word from which the Greeks derived their name for palestra, a huge palace of combat sports that was situated in the center of most larger ancient cities. The palestra was a huge building that outwardly looked like a palace, but was dedicated to the cultivation of athletic skills. Every morning, afternoon, and evening, the most committed, determined, and daring athletes of the day could be found in this fabulous building, working out and training for their respective sports. Three kinds of athletes primarily worked out at the palestra, boxers, wrestlers, and pancreatists. Let me tell you a little bit about how these sports functioned in the first century when Paul wrote the verse. That's why it's important we know this. What did it look like when Paul wrote this? Because it forms the backdrop to the war, the, the word wrestle in Ephesians 6.12. The first and most feared combat sport was boxing. But the boxers from the first century were not like our boxers today. Their sport was extremely violent. So violent that they were not permitted to box without wearing helmets. Without the protection of helmets, their heads would have been crushed. In fact, their sport was so severe that few boxers ever lived to retire from their profession. Most of them died in the ring. All of, the sports, of all the sports, the ancients viewed the boxing as the most hazarded, hazardous and deadly. In this brutal and barbaric sport, the ancient boxers wore gloves ribbed with steer, steel and spiked with nails. At times, the steel wrapped around their gloves was serrated like a blade of a hunting knife in order to make deep gashes in the opponent's skin. In addition to this, they used extremely heavy gloves that made every punch more damaging. It was quite usual to find artwork from the time of the ancient Greeks that included boxers whose faces, ears, and noses were totally deformed from being struck by these dangerous gloves. Making this sport even more dangerous was the fact that, fact that there were no rules, except that the boxer couldn't clench his opponent's fist. That was the only rule of the game. There were no rounds like there were in boxing today. The fight just went on and on until one of the two surrendered or died in the ring. Next, there were wrestlers. wrestlers. Wrestling was also a deadly sport in the first century. In fact, most wrestlers chose to fight to the death rather than walk into the ring of humiliation and defeat. As you see, it was an ugly, bloody sport. In order to make the opponent surrender, it was quite normal to strangle him into submission. Choking was another acceptable practice in wrestling. Like boxing, wrestling was extremely violent and and a very bloody sport that tolerated every imaginable tactic, breaking fingers, breaking ribs by a waistlock, gashing the face, gouging out the eyes, and so on. Wrestling was a bitter struggle to the very end. The third combat was pancreation, I think it is, from the Greek word pan and kratos. The word pan means all, and kration is from the word kratos, which means power. These two words were put together. They formed the word pancreation, which means all-powerful. These fighters were the fiercest, toughest, and most committed of all. In this sport, they were permitted to kick, punch, bite, gouge, strike, bite, break fingers, break legs, and do other horrible things that you can only imagine. There was no part of the human body that was off limits. They could do anything they wanted to any part of their competitor's body, for there were basically no rules. An earliest inscription from a father to his sons who participated in pancreation says this, if you should hear your son has died, you can believe it. But if you hear he has been defeated and chose to retire, do not believe it. Why? Because like other combat sports, pancreation was extremely violent. While participating in this sport, more professional pancreatists died than surrendered or were simply defeated. I realize that these were very graphic images, but they're very important images for they all all contain the word wrestle that Paul uses in in Ephesians 6.12. In the day that Paul wrote this letter, Everyone who saw the Greek word pele, wrestle, saw all these images in their mind. You can see then that it was a powerful, pungent word for Paul to use when he started to describe the conflict, our conflict, with unseen demonic powers that Satan has marshaled together to try to destroy us. So you and I don't understand when he says wrestle, we we don't understand what he really means until we get that background. Because I was a cheerleader for the wrestlers, and I'm telling you, I saw them wrestle, but it was no big deal. But, but I can tell you what I did see is, is that they, they would grab a hold uh, of limbs and try to throw them. They, they, would, they, would, they would grab a hold of, like, body parts and, and try to throw them on the mat. And, and it, it just made me realize that that's what the enemy wants to do to us. It was, they would go around the mat like this until somebody would go in and lay hold of the other one and that's what the enemy is doing to us. He wants to lay hold of us. And maybe not of our physical limbs, but he wants to lay hold of our emotions. He wants to lay hold of our minds. He wants to lay hold of our thinking processes and use that to throw us to the ground and to pin us down in victimization, in self-pity, in anger and hatred and unforgiveness. And Paul is calling the Ephesians in Ephesians 6:12 to this kind of wrestling match, to stand firm You're not taking me down. I am not going to be easily moved. Too many of us are getting thrown to the mat. Here's the other thing. They did this in the nude. In the nude, uh, the, the, the contestants would throw off all their clothing because they didn't want anything tripping them up or anything hindering them or anything that the enemy could grab a hold to use to throw them down. And what made it even better is that they would oil themselves up before they did it so that they, the enemy couldn't get a, a grip on them to throw them down. Oh, that's going to preach right there because the Hebrews tells us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and run the race set before us. It also says that, that the oil, the oil of the Holy Spirit is symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you what, when you're caught up in sin, the enemy has a way to grow. Grab a hold of you and throw you to the ground. Throw off that thing. Get rid of it in your life so that he cannot get an advantage over you. And get yourself oiled up in the Holy Spirit. Start getting that anointing upon your life so that you're too slippy for him to hang on to. <laughs> and get nude, for goodness sake. Get nude. This is, I am vulnerable. I I am exposed. I don't care if you see. I am not covering anything up. I am not hiding with a super spiritual mask so that everybody thinks, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But you don't know what I'm doing behind closed doors. Get rid of that stuff. Throw it off. Because the enemy is going to use it to throw you to the ground. He's going to pin you. He's going to get the advantage over you. Throw it off. Throw it off. Oh, let's get back to our scripture. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Look at verse 12. Don, can we put that up there? Look at all those against. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Five against. Look at that. Anytime, this is a Friday morning thing, but anytime you see the word of God repeating something over and over again. Paul, Paul, (laughs) why do you kick against the goats? Anytime he repeats something over and over in Scripture, it's to get your attention. It's so that you don't miss it, so that you have this light that goes off that says, I need to pay attention to that. That word against is important. It's pros. It means to the advantage of. It means at, nearby. It means in close proximity. It's a really difficult word to, to convey because it's not the right word that means against. It's not the word Paul always used when he said against. It, it's a different word. And so commentators say that, that right there is another red flag that you need to look at and say, why did you choose that word? Here's the other place it's used John 1 1. Who knows that scripture? In the beginning was the word, and the word was. Was what with God pros with God against? That's that word against. So with God means against, and it means the word was face to face with God. You do not wrestle against flesh and blood. You you wrestle against principalities, against spiritual forces of wickedness. You wrestle against. See all those against face to face. Face to face. Huh? Eye to eye. It's hand-to-hand combat. It's face-to-face. I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm not afraid of you. I am not afraid of you. You have been defeated. You don't have any power in my life. You don't have any power in my marriage. You don't have any power in my family. You don't have any power in my finances. I am looking you in the eye. We are going to fight Face to face. I am not backing off. I'm not running the other direction. I don't battle against flesh and blood. I battle against principalities and evil forces. And that is face to face. I'm not turning my back on you. Because I'm not getting stabbed in the back from you. I'm face to face with you. Notice he did five times. Five times. Our struggle is face to face with principalities. That word is um, do you see it there? Let me just, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That word is, is present tense. And the, the implication is that the, the struggle or hand-to-hand combat is not a one-time occurrence, but that it's a daily, ongoing, continual warfare, whether we like it or not. And then in closing, Paul goes in and he gives us a hierarchy of the evil forces we wrestle against. Um, I just want to look at them very, very quickly. Principalities. That's the Greek word is arche. It's first place, chief, principality, rule. uh, um, It means ruling. It's where we get the word archangel, which means um, an angel who rules over other angels. It's where we get the word archbishop. It's a bishop who rules over other bishops. It's used to describe chief generals of an army. Ruling spirits. Um, if you remember from the book of Daniel, do you remember when Daniel prayed for something and the angel came to him and said, The moment you prayed, I heard we heard your prayers were heard. But what happened? Took 21 days. Why? He was fighting against who? The prince of Persia. Where was Daniel living? Babylon, which is Persia, and he was fighting against a prince or a principality in Persia. And that principality had the power to delay an answer to prayer. Do you see that? So don't kid yourself. They have power, but not more than you have. But you have to know how to fight. You have to know how to forbid that principality from working from hindering your prayer from going forth. Do you see that? So for principalities, powers, uh, exosia, it, it, asusia I think it is. It means permission, authority, right, power to act. It's a delegated license. It's more localized power. It's a localized jurisdiction. Okay, so keep in mind as we're going over these, remember my teaching on don't give place to the devil. The word place is topos, it's where we get our word topography. It means a geographical location. Does that help you? Do you see that? Geographical location, jurisdiction. Um, So the next one is rulers of the darkness of this age. "Cosmocrator" is what the word is in, in Greek. Cosmo means order or arrangement. Kratos means Power. It describes the assembling or the ordering of power. Uh, one commentator said this would have been boot camps or for military training centers, meaning the devil and his demons, training for demons. They're specialized. <laughs> I, I, I was just going to tell you, specialized demons to inflict. Leslie and I have seen this numerous times, where. Uh, demons, I believe that there are demons of affliction. There are demons of uh, disease. I really believe that. There are demons of, um, we've, we've just encountered so many different situations. There, there was a woman, we were at a conference in Houston And uh, the the uh, head of the ministry pulled me aside when I first came in and said, "So and so sitting in the front row. She's here every year just to kind of ignore. She really pulls on the speakers. She she's really is a mess. She's sexually molested by her father, who was a pastor, and 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 all of her life, and got into spiritual ritual abuse. And you know, she's just a handful. And I'm like, that's okay with me." and she said no 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 no. she's been prayed for to be delivered how many years like 8 years people have done that and there's no, there's just 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 no just we want to inform you so we started talking to her and she'd been through so much i mean talk about opening in a door that a father who's a pastor A spiritual head now takes that authority to sexually molest you and then does ritual sacrifices with you. Tell me that little thing hasn't been through some stuff. And we watched her get free that weekend. She sent us a Christmas card not long ago. We didn't even recognize her because there was that much change in her countenance and who she was. Um, because she got so free uh, from that weekend. But I'm telling you that I believe generational. There are demons that, that follow a generational line, uh, familiar spirits that that play on generational line. I believe there are spirits of alcoholism, uh, uh, of drug addiction. I believe they get in. Um, and so these. this is the area. They are specialized um, uh, Demonic powers that have, they, they specialized in infirmity, disease, addiction, alcoholism, rage, anxiety. They're they specialized training. Different groups train for different things. Vine says, Vine's dictionary says, It's used to describe spirit powers who under the permissive will of God and in consequence of human sin, exercise satanic and therefore antagonistic authority over the world in its present condition of spiritual darkness and alienation from God. And then there's spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Wickedness is ponera, means malice, depravity, iniquity, wickedness, in heavenly places. And so I believe there are different levels of heaven. I believe we're in the first, you know, where the stars in the sky is, that would be the first level. I think there's second, Paul says I was caught up into the, third heaven Um, and so there are levels if there's a third heaven there must be a first and a second and so uh, these spiritual hosts of wickedness commentators say that they're probably in the lower regions uh, in the one we're in in the atmosphere we breathe Um, remember the prince of the power of the air Um, Jesus said the prince of this world is coming Um, and so the power of the air those are the local this local area the regions that we breathe One other thing I want you to see is Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. I want you to turn back there because I want you to see it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. I, I tell you, if you want a spiritual death, if you want to feel dead, if you want to feel lacking of life, there's no easier way to do it than through disobedience and many sins. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, you used to live in sin like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. I want to read that last sentence to you again. He, the devil, is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. That word at work means energized. When we refuse to obey God, we put ourselves in a place to be energized by the devil. Ask anybody who struggles with anger. When you give place to that anger and you start to say it, you get energized by the devil. Ask anybody who deals with rage or anger. They will tell you that that is the truth. So you give place by saying that unkind, nasty thing, and then you get energized by the devil. Do you, do you see it? This is God's word, not mine. At work in those who refuse to obey. At work in those who refuse to obey. Oh, real obedience doesn't matter. Are you high? Are you high? Do you read the word of God? At work in those who refuse to obey. When we refuse to obey, we give place to the devil, and he gets energized in us. We give place to him to work, a place to operate. You say, well, Rhea, Christians can't be possessed by the devil. Okay, but you can give place to him to work. You can give an occasion for him to act in your life. Notice that all of these uh, um, hierarchy of powers are plural. Um and, and they describe specific positions of power and how the devil's kingdom is organized. I'm telling you, he is organized. And the reason I believe he is, commentators believe he is, is remember, he was an angel. <laughs> and, and, and he was at a high level of, of, uh, in the angelic realm. And God is a God of order. And so his levels are ordered. So when the enemy fell, I believe he's a counter, he is a counterfeit for everything. He copies everything. He's never had a real idea on his own. And, and so he just took what he knew from heaven and now he's organized it uh, in his kingdom as well. J.B. Phillips, I like him, and then we'll close. Um, he says spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil. That's what these are spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil of evil. I want you to remember that Colossians 2:14 says that God has disarmed principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing triumphing over them on the cross. He's disarmed them. Do you, do you understand you have nothing to fear. You fight from victory. The only thing you have to fear is the power that you surrender to him that you don't enforce. From from heaven. David Gusick says, these principalities and powers are disarmed, except for their ability to deceive and create fear. These are effective weapons that are not tangible weapons at all. Demonic spirits only have the power towards us that we grant them by believing their lies. The weapons are in our hands, not theirs. We're going to talk about that next week. We will one day see how afraid they were of us. Last thing, uh, First Peter 5.18 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The New King James Version says, Seeking whom he may devour. The fact that it's worded like that tells me that there are some, uh, he's seeking whom he can. There must be some he cannot there must be some that have so closed the door to him that he can't. He's seeking, looking for somebody who has their guard down. He's seeking, looking for someone who will give him place, he, who he may devour because he has no power. He's looking for you to give him permission and power to do it. Slam the door. Slam the door. So Paul is telling us very clearly <laughs> That, that we need to put on the full armor of God. He finishes by saying here in, in verse 13. We're going to look at the rest next week. But therefore take up the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm therefore. This is both a command and a promise. You take up the full armor and you will be able to withstand the day of evil. But you have to choose to put on that armor. In closing, I just want to tell you a story. I was thinking about this today, and I just quickly jotted it in my notes. Uh, a long time ago, I heard Priscilla Schreier tell a great story, and I loved it. Um, I don't know if you know who she is. She's Tony Evans' daughter, and she's uh, incredible. A minister of the word, and she and her sons went to a local harvest festival at a little church uh, by her house. And, and And at this harvest festival, they had this thing called trunk or treat. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It was their version of Halloween to keep the the kids from going trick or treating. They they provided this trunk or treat where they would have cars and they would um, set up. They would have their volunteers in their church uh, bring their cars, open the trunk, and set up a type of carnival game where the children could play this game and then they would give them loads of candy and it would make them happy that they didn't get to go trick-or-treating and so um she said every year she would take her children to this trunk or treat at this harvest festival and that her kids loved them and one year she had her little son uh, I think his name was I can't remember his name um uh let's see do you remember it Leslie um Jude, her son Jude, and he was four years old, and she had him with her at this truck retreat. And and the the highlight of the cars that year was not a car at all. It was a pickup truck. And some man brought his pickup truck, and he had a little step stool that the children could jump up into the cab of his truck. And then off the side, he had this big table with holes, five holes drilled in it, and, and a drape, a curtain draped over the bottom so that you couldn't see what was under it and then out of these holes would pop up little hand puppets and, and the the children were given this mallet and it was a cushy mallet and they got to climb up in the in the pickup truck one at a time and then they would just hit these puppets and the, it would it was their their version of whack-a-mole. And they would hit the puppet and the puppet would quick jump down in the hole and then it would pop up someplace else. And so they would run up and down this pickup truck trying to rack this mole and get him to, to go down when he would just pop up someplace else. and And, and so this little boy, Jude, her son, was with her, but there was a little boy, a five-year-old little boy behind her, and and she said that he was just getting so frustrated as he watched this. The line was really long because everybody wanted this this whack-a-mole, this trunk-or-treat, and there were lots of other ones, and he couldn't understand why his mom couldn't just stand in line, and he could go do all these other games, and she wouldn't let him do that, and so he was frustrated. And he was frustrated at how long the line was, and what was more than that is he could not understand this game he said to his mom now mom what is the sense in this game if I'm just going to run up and down and whack these puppets and they're going to disappear only to pop up someplace else what is the purpose of this game what is the goal of this game and she said we were all laughing listening to him because he was so frustrated at, at this game and and she said you know we're laughing amongst ourselves and then she said suddenly out of the corner of my eye I saw this dart of a of a five-year-old little boy just go darting to the front of the line, and he takes a hold of the drapery, and he just rips it off, and he exposes the three people underneath it with hand puppets in their hand. And she said, we all just died laughing. But she said, we learned a great lesson that day. She said, we learned, listen to this, there is always something you can't see influencing what you can and if you, like that little boy said, spend all your time, your energy, your efforts trying to hit what you can see popping up in your life, you're going to be frustrated. Because as soon as you take care of one thing, another is coming back up. Unless you do what the Apostle Paul says and pull back the curtain and let the enemy know, we got our eyes on you. We are not on. Un- Aware, We know you are behind the scenes, and we're not going to waste our time whacking moles only to have them pop up someplace else. We're going to start using our weapons to fight the battle where they really lie, behind the curtain, behind the curtain. Good stuff. Do not be unaware of your enemy's schemes. It is not about that person you're whacking. It's about what's behind the curtain. Who's behind the curtain? Principalities, evil forces, rules of this dark world. So Father, I thank you that you're opening our eyes to see. You're giving us revelation. You're giving us understanding. You're giving us wisdom far beyond our ability. And I thank you, Lord, that you are proving to us that we are not fighting against flesh and blood and you're gonna teach us to fight smart and we're gonna rise up stronger and more aware. So continue to shine your light on your word and bring us revelation. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.